You are listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday Sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Now, here is more to the story. Welcome to the Forefront Church Podcast, more to the story, where we spend more time on what was preached last week, digging in a little deeper here. Today, we got Pastor Drew Tarwater. Thank you for being with us. Good to be with you guys. Pastor Darren Enns, how you doing today? I'm doing good, thanks. And I'm Rob Lazzi here, just trying to guide the ship and keep it, keep it, uh, keep the ball be- between the gutters here. I guess. That, okay, <laughs> that was got, a mixed metaphor, Rob. I don't know about that one. That's a bad metaphor. <laughs> We've got the bumpers metaphor. up. We got the bumpers up. I'm trying to be the bumper guide, and that's not working sometimes. But moving on. Uh, last week you talked about Joseph, the coat of many colors. The story with uh, him getting uh, sold into Egypt as a slave. Give us a quick recap on that. Yeah, we meet this character, Joseph, uh, in Genesis chapter 37, and we see uh, immediately the continuation of this storyline of dysfunction through this family. You know, we get uh, this family that God chooses in Genesis chapter 12 that he's going to bless the world through, and immediately we see Abraham and and Sarah um, fail to trust God, and then we see Isaac and Rebekah have this struggle over their sons, and then the struggle between Jacob and Esau. Now we find Jacob and his family back in Canaan living, and Jacob's got 12 sons uh, with four wives, and we immediately meet Joseph, who's his favorite son, and we know it's his favorite son. Um, you know, in, in one of the, the, the ways in early Genesis chapter 37, because he gives them this multicolored robe. Um, this, and you know, we've all like seen kids' Bibles or watched you know <laughs> cartoons of this robe or what it looks like, and. Um, I joked that you know it's it's hopefully more like Jimi Hendrix's flowy purple purple robe that he played <laughs> with at Woodstock, but but you know he he gives him this this robe and and like that is a signal you know a signal to his brothers that like okay here's here's Joseph he's this person that um, our father loves the most, and then we see there's this crazy exchange between Joseph and his brothers where um, Joseph has a dream he tells his brothers about this dream and his brothers hate him. And they want to do everything to stop the dream. And by the end of Genesis 37, we see Joseph's been, uh, he's been thrown into a pit. Um, his brothers conspired to kill him. He had one brother want to rescue him. And then he gets sold to these Ishmaelite traders um, from Midian, who are like his like distant cousins, who take him to Egypt and sell him as a slave to the house of Potiphar, who is basically uh, the, the head of the Pharaoh's CIA. And so you have hmm. what starts off Genesis 37 with a son who looks like he's going to be the son of promise, who by the end of the chapter, he's now a slave in Egypt and the tables have just completely turned. Interesting. And then I always thought the coat was pretty interesting. And with like the culture differences, like today, like out here this week in Denver, it's just windy. The coat would be practical. Is it like, <laughs> this is more than just a practical coat, isn't it? Yeah. The, the coat, um, it, it's it's kind of ambiguous as to what what it may mean. Um, you know, most people think it is something, you know, very very colored, many colored, and the NIV just says ornate, 
robe or hmm. ornate cloak. Um, so one thing that's interesting uh, is that the the giving of this coat introduces an important theme that'll run through the whole Joseph story about clothing. So um, you know, he he's bestowed this coat. It, it's a sign of honor, maybe even the the birthright. Even though he's the the what tenth youngest son out of out of currently eleven at the time, um, and then his brothers take off the coat as they throw him in the pit, uh, and they use that to deceive their father. Um, interestingly, Jacob is deceived by a coat, whereas he deceived his father with a garment as well, putting on the hairy cloak. Just hmm. things keep keep repeating and, and and theming in Genesis here, and then um, also later on in the story, um, as Joseph flees. Uh, Potiphar's wife, as she's trying to seduce him, uh, she pulls off his cloak. Um, oh yeah! And then he he goes down into the pit, into jail. So that there's this clothing thing that that keeps coming up, and also later on in the story, um, Pharaoh bestows honor upon Joseph by clothing him in in Pharaoh's clothes. So there's this whole thing about when Joseph gets clothes, he's he's elevated. When his clothes are taken off he's he he goes down into the pit and so it's a really interesting theme that keeps coming up i was gonna say isn't that part of the culture too of the day where it's like your clothing represented a lot of who you were like kind of like a military garment is that is there any truth to that or i think so i think there is an element of there uh was was honor and and wealth was um seen through the clothes you wear. I mean, you even go back to the, the time of Jesus when Jesus is giving us this challenge in the Sermon on the Mount of somebody asks for your cloak, give them, you know, you know, get your shirt, you know, give it to them, right? Give them your, your cloak also. And in those days, people had one cloak, you know, you had one robe um, that you wore. And so for Joseph to have um, this, this multicolored ornate robe, it was, it showed the, the value of those things. And I think in those days, um, you know, we've probably joked about it before, but in, in those days, you know, if you were uh, heavy, a person with who ate really well and had a lot of clothes, that was a sign of wealth. Um, and, and so I think, yeah, there, there's something going on here with with this idea of clothing. And I think too that um, God is also showing us that He cares that we wear clothes. So God yep. says, please wear. <laughs> there's there's also the story of the prodigal son. Uh, when he returns, he, he gets a cloak. Uh, and he gets yeah. a ring. It's yeah. So family honor, the ability to do business. Now there's like, you know, 1,200 or more years of, of time removed, uh, but culture ha- doesn't change as much as it does now, back from no. from back then. Oh, it makes it. another another cultural difference is I thought was interesting in the stories where Joseph's the favorite son of the favorite wife, <laughs> which seems to be, uh, I mean, a, you know, a Doctor Phil TV episode right there. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Drew did a good job, I think, of explaining how we, we view some of these Bible stories and some people say, oh, look at these heroes of the faith. And But when we really read the stories, we find out how dysfunctional they are. Uh, and, and this is an example of that. Like, how, how do you actually have a favorite wife? Well, y- you married two of them, and that's a problem. You, you shouldn't have two <laughs> wives at the same time uh, because then, yeah, problems problems happen. So it's not God's prescription to have multiple wives it was always one from the beginning, and then this weird thing just happened where these Old Testament characters sometimes ha- have more than one wife. So that's not not something that's good for us. It's true. And, and you see uh, Joseph being this favored son, and again, this he's given this robe, and he, he is... Um, you would expect that almost like Joseph's going to be the one that gets the blessing, Joseph's going to be the one that gets the inheritance, but he's the 10th oldest son. But he was you know, the oldest son to Rachel, who was 
Jacob's favorite wife. And so you've got that that's this terribly dysfunction, dysfunctional family, this hostility that exists. I mean, Reuben's the oldest brother, right? And so in theory, Reuben would be the one who would get all of the, the you know, the double portion of inheritance. Uh, but but it you know almost feels like it's leaning towards Joseph. And now Joseph gets this dream. He's already given some bad reports about his about his brothers to his dad. And at this point, there's just some serious hate going on in his family, which then sets up this really messy situation we see with his brothers as you get through chapter 37. And then what the story goes, it seems like good, bad, good, bad, good. And like, you know, of Joseph's life. And then one of the, I guess the questions like we see from it, you go, because the underlying story is God is in control and he can, you know, make good things happen out of bad. It's like, but is he allowing the bad to make the good or how's like, what's the, there's a tension there and help us work, work us through that. Oof. That's a good question. We need a whole podcast for this one. You know, there (laughs) is that tension. And when we look through the the pages of the Bible, we do see that there is um, plenty of bad and evil that happens that leads to God creating a situation for good. And we, we camped out on um, that verse in Romans that, we, that I love so much, Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good. And so it does lead us to that question, does God cause the bad to happen? Does God cause evil to happen to accomplish his purposes? Or does God just allow it? So Joseph goes to his brothers. His brothers want to kill him. His brothers throw him in the pit. He gets sold into slavery. He goes to Egypt. He gets falsely accused. He's in prison, and he and he uh, interprets a dream for the butler. But then the butler doesn't say anything to Pharaoh, so he stays in prison. And it's not until uh, Pharaoh comes and has a dream for Joseph to interpret that Joseph even gets out of prison. And so you wonder, there's a lot of bad in there. Did God cause that bad to happen um, so that God could work through the situation to bring good? And so this has kind of been a debate that a lot of um, a lot of theologians and Bible scholars have had for for two thousand years as we study the New Testament. Because again, we see Jesus. Jesus gets arrested. That's bad. Jesus gets beaten. That's bad. Jesus gets crucified. That's bad. So he could die for our sins and raise from the grave, which is good. Did God cause those things to happen, or did God allow them to happen? And so there's that there's that tension, and I think there's a realization that you and I we like to put things in a nice tight tidy little box and make sense of it. But you know we're reminded in the book of Isaiah and Isaiah 55 that um, that God says, "My ways are higher than your ways; my thoughts are higher than your thoughts." And we know that God is omniscient; He knows everything. And so we sometimes uh, will look at a situation and think, "Well, God, why did you cause that to happen in my life?" Why did you cause this situation to happen to Joseph? And God will say, I didn't cause it, I allowed it. You know, in the book of James, in James chapter 1 and verse 13, God says, or James says this, he says, Let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, for he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted by our own desire. Um, God is the giver of every good gift. Everything perfect comes from above. That's what James says in James 1.17. And so we see that God is holy, God is perfect, but God does allow bad things to happen, yet he is working through those bad situations to shape us and sculpt our character. And so, yeah, you do see this really interesting weaving of things together. The the caravan of the Midianite traders, they come by just at the right time when Joseph's brothers wanted to kill Joseph. 
to, and, and all of a sudden they have a new idea. Well, let's sell them into slavery instead of killing it. And so no question, God timed that perfectly for those traders to walk by while Joseph was in the pit. So God Speaking is the pit. Can I ask a, can I ask a question about the pit? Yeah. Sorry, complete, you know, probably derailed it. Like in uh, it's 30, uh, it's Genesis 37, 28. And they use a pronoun like with they, it looks like referring to the Midianites. Midian, am I pronouncing that right, Darren? Midianites. Midianites. Thank you. Sure. I always ask the, the guy that's the scholar. I mean, that's not the, the Hebrew word. pronunciation, but we're, we speak English, so it's fine. Okay, fair enough. I appreciate it. <laughs> and so there's a, some question there on who actually pulled Joseph out of the well. Was it his brothers or the Midianites? Am I closer, Darren? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's something, there's something that I noticed uh, in the middle of Drew's sermon, uh, and then I went on a rabbit trail um, in my own head, uh, which probably wasn't a good thing. Uh, I'm just trying to listen to Drew's sermon, but it, it's something that I, I put on the study guide for life groups. Uh, so if you're hearing this, life group people, before you go to your life group, no cheating. Um, you can listen to this, but don't 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 give it away. Um, so the the text, uh, depending on which translation you look at, is a little bit different. So the ESV, the main one we use here, says, Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Um, whereas the NIV says, So when Mid- the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him to the Ishmaelites. So there's an interpretive issue here. The Hebrew is actually ambiguous as to who the they really is. Um, Hebrew verbs have things attached to them that encode um, a pronoun such as he or she, potentially it uh, versus context, or if it's, it's, it's a first person, it's I, we, um, or, and this, this one is, it was what we call third plural, third common plural, which just means they. So who is the they and what, what subject does that verb refer to? If we just look at verse 28, it appears that the Midianite merchants pulled Joseph up and, and sold him uh, into slavery and, and sold him to the Ishmaelites. Um, but there are a couple other texts that help us clarify this because it is ambiguous. One of them is Genesis 37, 36, um, which says the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar. So the Midianites are the ones who sold Joseph. Um, when in verse 28, it says they, whoever they is, sold them to the Ishmaelites. So right there, we see that the Midianites and the Ishmaelites are the same people, uh, which is potentially confusing. Uh, let's see, 39.1. I just figure it's like multi-tier, like it's, you know, is like the middleman. Yeah. <laughs> they right. just they just kept marking them up 20 percent every time yeah. they moved them along. <laughs> yeah inflation from canaan to right. egypt right. uh yeah chapter 39 1 um says that the ishmaelites uh, had taken him there um and then the the biggest one actually is in joseph's uh speech to his brothers in 45 verses 4 and 5 um which says do, uh, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, talking to his brothers. So even in Joseph's own speech, he, had, he, he, he claims that the brothers are the one who sold him. So that was just a, kind of a fun, a fun nosedive into, into a, a, a biblically ambiguous thing that I think is fun. And I hope I don't confuse people when I do that. But No, it's good. Yeah. But the intent of his brothers was to sell him into slavery when they saw these traitors Yes, the Ishmaelite, Midianite guys tr- sold him to Potiphar in Egypt, but it was the intent of his brother. Yeah. Um, so I think, you know, it's kind of a and, both and, but 
the, it originated at the heart of, of Sin and his brothers. Yeah, and, and it's not a theologically differing issue, like one way or the other. Yeah. Um, but but I, I really think it's important to read our Bibles closely. And when we see something that is is different like that, like let's go on a hunt and figure it out. Absolutely. And sorry, then we'll go back like with sort of the idea of like, does God cause or allow evil? With that, um, and the, uh, Drew, let me is I have a, the best way I can explain it. Like I, I think parents probably with kids have great examples of allowing or causing. Like I'm a coach, I don't have kids, but I would allow basketball players to make mistakes on the court to make them learning lessons. Like I didn't stop every bad thing from happening that I could in practice or whatever. It's like you have to allow them to learn. It's probably not an apples right. to apples comparison. No, I think it, I think it's great. I think God does. So God allows the consequences of our sin, and God allows the consequences of other sin. And so a lot of people, you know, you can somebody listening to this podcast may um, have been in a situation where something really bad happened to them. And it's like, God, why did you allow that to happen? Um, but, but in that, could it be that God wants to shape your character and cause you to trust in him? I mean, we meet Joseph in Joseph 30, early in chapter 37, and he is arrogant and cocky. When we see Joseph, when he gets reunited with his brothers later on in, in chapter you know, 44, we see that he's a different person. And so God used those difficult situations of the pit and the dungeon to, and, and you know and slavery to shape him and change his character. So I think God does allow it. Now you do see situations in Scripture, which we'll get to in the Book of Exodus, where God hardened Pharaoh's heart, or God did some. You know when you see that Israel gets exiled by Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians, what you know you see some weird situations with Nebuchadnezzar. And so I do think you see situations in Scripture where God will move through human agency and will do something to advance His plan. Um, but I don't think God is actually causing evil to happen in our lives. I think God is just um, allowing these circumstances to happen to to move and accomplish his plan. But also secondary you know, or, or equal purpose in that is to grow us and shape us to look more like Jesus. Because I think that's God's plan is for us as his people to grow in our faith and to live more like Jesus lived. And so he uses those circumstances, uh, consequences of our sin or, or the consequences of what others have done to shape us in that way. No, it's interesting to think about. It's like, it goes back to like even like the whole free will discussion of like what control do we have of our own lives, and what, that's you know it's that's kind of like an underlying theme. And sometimes even the New Testament and different you know denominations have different views on that. And clearly, we've stayed together as a Christian organization because of that. <laughs> right. But uh, we're like. What would you, I mean, I guess it's the tough question, the tension that like when someone's going through something rough like that and you're trying to go, it's always those worst times to try to encourage someone like, like someone's going through like they, you know, whether it's job loss, fam, loss in the family, all these things. And you go and well, God is in control. It seems like the, the hallmark card answer. Yeah. It, it's a deeply pastoral question. Cause we can talk about, you know, letting basketball kids make mistakes or le- letting, letting my daughter touch the hot the hot thing and learning what hot is like they, they have to learn at some point. But then when it comes to a loved one passing away way before their time, mm-hmm. you know, that, that, that really hurts. And, and if you're in that moment, um, you really don't know what, what to do. And so, um, what I, if, if I would try to shape a response, it's really hard to know where to begin. Um, I, I do lean towards more of a free will stance and yet I have no problem with the sovereignty of God. Like God can do what he wants. And so I'm comfortable with mm-hmm. that. 
Um, but with, with the free will response, that means that God allows, uh, allows humans to choose for themselves, and we have chosen evil, and we've chosen uh, good in our own eyes rather than good in God's eyes, and that has produced death in this world, and God allows those consequences to um, allow us the dignity of making the choice for ourselves. So what, what is, is it true love if you force someone to love you or if they choose to love them on their own? I think it's much more of a deep sense of love if we choose to love God, rather mm-hmm. if he just created us autonomous robots to, to be forced to love him and, and, and doing that. And so what we experience in this life is the consequence of our own sin, and God allows those things to happen. And he, I, I do not believe that God is actively causing those things, but he is allowing. And so there, there are some things that he can work in to, to bring about the good, like we read in the Joseph story. Um, and each of these, uh, these really tough times that we go through in our lives, um, we, it, it's, it's not God tempting us. Um, and I, I don't think it's, it's fair to say either that God is actively testing us. And yet those situations that he allows gives us the opportunity to show our faith. Are, are we going to trust in God that we, we, can just understand that we don't know everything? Or are we going to rebel and take, take things away from him and say, God, you're stupid, you don't know what you're doing, and go and do, do it on yourself, um, would, do it on your own? Would this be like a spot where I think, at least in culture today, is that where there's a lot of like self-divinity is preached and taught, and especially outside the church, even in some churches, but where it's like where you're kind of your own God. And we're, yeah, God is going to say, like, I'm God, not you. Right. Yeah. The, the, the main confession of humans needs to be that you are God and I am not. And, and that's, the, that's the start of, of understanding who, who our God really <laughs> is. Um, I, I imagine, uh, if, if I could draw a metaphor, you know Shaq, the massive basketball player? Oh, if, absolutely. If there's, a, if there's a little kid who's trying to fight him, Shaq is just going to stick out his hand on the kid's forehead, and the kid's going to be swinging and trying to hit him, and it's like, no, there's no point. And then Shaq is like, all right, you done? Okay, now here's, here's how it is. Trust me, I got gotcha. you. That's, you know, that mm-hmm. could be how God is. And God is infinitely bigger than Shaq. Um, and there's also, the, the wisdom literature is really smart for this. Um, the, the wisdom literature involves Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. Um, the Proverbs are when, are, are for li- when life makes sense. Uh, and then Ecclesiastes and Job are for when it doesn't. And Ecclesiastes and Job uh, kind of take different angles. And Job, uh, if you know the story, um, God allows Satan to have evil fall on Job by taking away all his massive riches. And then the, the whole book is trying to figure out his friends, like, why are you doing this? Uh, his wife is pretty bitter and says, curse God and die, you fool. Um, and then after everyone's done speaking, after everyone's done taking swings at God, God shows up in the middle of a massive storm in Job 38. And he's like, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Who, who are you to know my ways and, and what's going on? And that's sometimes it can be comforting for someone. I've heard testimonies of people who are um, like, that they don't know the answer of why we are struggling with, with this thing, whether it's you know, infertility or why, why my kid is sick or why my spouse is dying. I don't know why, but knowing that God has a reason can be comforting. And so God has a reason, and I don't think we're ever really going to know that um, in this life. Um, and that, that's a little bit of wisdom, and I, I hope that's comforting. Um, but again, if, if you're struggling in, in that moment, um, we're not going to come in and bash a Bible over your head. We're just going to show up and be with you. 
like Job's friends sat with him for seven days and just said, dude, this sucks. We're with you. Yeah, I think this is why we have the book of Genesis with the story of Joseph in it. I think the life of Joseph is given to us, Rob, so we can look at those situations in life and see that God is in control and that while other people maybe have meant evil against us or the world, go back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3, what was their sin, right? They disobeyed God and they wanted to have their eyes open so they could be like God. And forever we've tried to make our own way. Well, the brothers, Joseph's brothers, don't want his dream to come true. And so they're going to kill him. And so we see God moving through the situation. And we have 13 chapters in the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis, more than Abraham, more than creation, more than anybody else. And I think it's for the purpose of God showing us that when you are in those moments in life, don't, and, and you're discouraged, you're disappointed, and you're doubting, know that I am weaving things together, that I am in charge of all this, because the story of Joseph isn't just about Joseph. It's about the family, the nation, what would become the nation of Israel. It, with that Through that family, God's going to bless the world and send us Jesus. And so Joseph goes, he goes much more beyond Joseph. And I think that shows us in our lives that God doesn't just shape us and weave situations together for our own good, but it's for the good of the world and it's for the good of the kingdom of God. And, and it helps us realize that just how powerful God is how trustworthy he is because he always is working and he's always so many steps ahead of us. We just have to be able to learn to trust him even in those moments when we always see his darkness around us. What I think is interesting too, especially when you're reading the Bible or even kind of even watching a movie, it's like you, you when you're reading this, it seems like it's happening very quickly or like this, the resolution happens while you're reading it within that, you know, that 30 minutes, an hour you take to read and you're going, how come stuff in my life isn't happening? That Like the resolutions aren't coming that quick. But what was the actual timeline from when he was sold into slavery to when he met his brothers? Yeah, that's a great question, Rob. You know, when you see him, he's 17 years old in Genesis chapter 37. And then he gets, you know, obviously right, right then he gets sold into slavery. Then when we see him um, get into... Um, get in, you know, he's sold into slavery in Potiphar's house and he gets falsely accused and he gets thrown into prison. Um, scholars think that Joseph was serving in Potiphar's house for about 11 years. So he's, hmm. he's, he's, he's been serving in as a slave for 11 years before he gets falsely accused. And then he's in prison for two years before he, get, he gets let out. And then it's another, then you have seven years of, uh, you know, he, he predicts the dream for Pharaoh, seven years of plenty, seven years of famine. And so, um, when, when, you, when you bring the math together, by the time Joseph gets reunited with his brothers, it's been 22 years. So he, he was sold into slavery at 17. He's 39 years old now when he gets reunited with his brothers. And so it took 22 years for that entire situation to come full circle for where Joseph could be re reunited uh, with, with that terrible situation back in Genesis 37. And I think you're right. When we look at stories of how God moves in people's lives, we say, God, we want you to move in our lives right now. God says, it may take 22 years. Like Israel, yeah. when they get sent into exile, and, and Jeremiah says, God has a plan for you, a plan um, to not do you harm, but to prosper you. But you might have to wait 70 years for that plan to come true. So it's encouraging and hopeful, but there is a um, reality that there might be a seriously long time of trust and patience as we wait for God to move. Because God's timeline is usually always different than ours, whether it's quicker or slower.
Right. But it's usually, yep. it's all at the right time. Yeah, they say God is, uh, he, he's never late, but he's rarely early. <laughs> he's always on time. Uh, Darren, any uh, final thoughts here before we wrap this up? I mean, yeah, but we, we need to wrap it up. We're, we're out of time. There's always <laughs> Next more. time. Always Next more. time. There's always, if you have questions or thoughts, if you listen to this and you go, and you have thoughts and questions that you want to share with us and we can try to answer, uh, send us an email, life at ForefrontChurch.tv. Uh, send us your question, or if you're at Forefront on the weekends or there, there's a connection cards, you can put the question in there and drop it off in the box in the back. So happy to hear your questions. Glad to help out any way we can. Darren and Drew, it has been a blast again talking with you guys and Always. going through Genesis here. Thanks, Rob. Thank you so much. You have been listening to More to the Story, a weekly podcast featuring Pastor Drew Tarwater and Pastor Darren Enns of Forefront Church in Denver, Colorado. Each week, More to the Story podcast will follow the Forefront Church Sunday sermon as Pastor Drew and Pastor Darren guide you through the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. Every podcast will feature in-depth analysis of the sermon and answer questions about the Bible. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another edition of More to the Story.